If you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this day and we just thank you, Lord, that we can gather here together to learn more about you. We ask that you would just quiet our hearts and our minds. Let us be able to focus on your word, Lord. We ask that you would open your word to us as we look at it and pray, Lord, that you would just uh, get me out of the way so that your word may be be proclaimed. And we just pray that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord, and we just ask that you would uh, bless the rest of our service. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So we're in Philippians. We're looking at the fourth chapter. And there's a lot of really good things in Philippians. I encourage you to read the rest of the book on your own time. But we have Paul here writing to the church in Philippi. And here in verse 4 he says, Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. He says always. And where's Paul at this time? Paul's in prison. He's been locked up. And yet, he's now writing to the church and telling them to rejoice at all times. And for us, that's really easy to say, right? We can say, yeah, I rejoice in the Lord always. And But is it always easy to put into action? Can we always rejoice? We look around at our certain our circumstances now. We see our world as it is. So many things, uh, sins running rampant. We have abortion. We have blasphemy. We have people lusting after their own desires. Like in Judges where every man did what was right according to his own eyes. We have that now. It's been the same throughout history. Men will do what they want to do because they want to do it. That's sin that's our natural state we are an enemy we are enemies of god until he intervenes in our lives paul was an enemy he was saul right he was on the road to damascus when christ opened his eyes to who what he was doing to persecuting him and then he blinded him he turned saul into paul he does the same thing with our lives. Until Christ intervenes in our lives, we're going to be Saul's and we're going to go around persecuting others. We're going to go around doing whatever our heart's desire is. And so here we see rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In Nehemiah 8.10, if you want to look at that. Nehemiah 8.10. says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Now before that, further in Nehemiah, earlier in Nehemiah, we have the rebuilding of the wall happen and all the people of that had survived the captivity are now brought back to Jerusalem. And you have Nehemiah there present and you have Ezra present and the Levites and they were reading the law to the people. And this is what had brought uh, sorrow to their hearts. Because just a verse up, in verse 9, it, said, uh, it tells us, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. That's the job of the law. God gave us the law to break us, to show us we are sinners. The law shows us our sin, and it points us to Christ. Because he's the only one that can keep that law, who kept that law perfectly. And so without him, we're going to be stuck in that sorrow, that constant mournful state. Christ brings us joy. That's how it says the Lord, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is Christ. He's our strength. He's our joy. That's how we can say rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. So that's for us. That's how we're able to rejoice when we look around and see all these things. And we think, well, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket, right? Why, why should we even try? What's the point? No, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, right? So we're to have joy. Christ fills us with that joy. And that joy should flow out of us and it should affect every part of our lives. You can look in 1 John Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We're going to be going through some scriptures here, so I hope you have your Bibles with you. 1 John, chapter 1, 1 through 4. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then verse 4, and he says, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. How is our joy full? By having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how we have joy. That's how our joy is full. Romans 12, 12. If you want to turn there. Romans 12, 12. Uh, start at uh, verse 10, sorry. It says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving perfect in pref- sorry, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, 
fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who curse, persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 15 is where we're at right now. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. And do not, excuse me, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So that was 9 through 16. So we see there, even we're not always going to be rejoicing. There is times to weep and times to mourn. We learn in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time for everything. Right? There are going to be sad times. There are going to be hard times. But that's not the end result. That's not the continual state that we're supposed to dwell in. We can weep with those who weep. We can bring comfort to them. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to have time of pain. You're going to go through trials. As long as you remember that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And to rejoice in the Lord always. Because he has the final victory. Right? Christ has defeated the enemy. Isaiah 61.10. Isaiah 61.10. says I will greatly re- I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul my soul shall be joyful in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels for as the earth brings forth its bud as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. So God causes that joy to spring out of us. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. At verse 16 to 18 it says rejoice again we see always pray without ceasing in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and Habakkuk 3:18 I'm cheating. I have my phone Bible here so I can just kind of find it quickly. Habakkuk 3.18 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. That was 3, 18 and 19. 
So we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. And we move to verse 5. It says, let your gentleness be known to who? All men. The Lord is at hand. Who are we supposed to be gentle to? All men. It's again one of those that's really easy to say, I'm going to be gentle to everybody. Is it always easy to be gentle to people? That's one of the hardest things in the world. We rub each other the wrong way. Right? We often offend each other sometimes without even knowing. And yet here we're told that we're supposed to be gentle to all men. How do we do that? Matthew 5, 43 40 through 48. We're told to love our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So not only does it say to love all men, but then we're told that we're supposed to even love our enemies. Which is generally the last person we want to love. We want our enemies to be destroyed, right? We want our enemies to be overthrown, done away with. We don't want to have to deal with them. We want to be done with them. It's a continuing process. Something That's not just sometimes it's a one and done. <laughs> I dealt with my enemy and I'm done. Sometimes it can last years, days, weeks, months. How do you deal with your enemies? How do you love them? The same way Christ loved you. You were an enemy of God. He loved you enough to save you from that. He called you out of death and brought you into life. Not when you were right with him, not when you were righteous in your own eyes, not when you were ready, when you were an enemy, he loved you. The Greek word for gentle definition says generous spirit that rises above offenses. You want to turn to Galatians 5, 19 through 23. We're going to see there the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 19 through Says now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, 
selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revileries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So again, this is another thing that says here we are to be gentle to all men. And the fruit of the Spirit should show in our lives that we are gentle, that we are long-suffering. That we're kind, we have joy, we have peace. Those are evidences of Christ working in our life. It shouldn't just be words that we say, yes, I'm going to be gentle, or yes, I'm going to be kind to that person. It shouldn't just be a good thought that pops into our head. It should be sprung out of us. It should be living waters. Just We shouldn't be able to contain it with the joy and the love that Christ gives us. We should just be overflowing with that joy and love. It should encompass our whole being. Verse 6 says, Be anxious for only some things. Right? No, I'm sorry. It says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, letting your request be known to God. So what are we supposed to be anxious for? Everything, right? Nothing. We are to be anxious for absolutely nothing. Is that an easy practice? Absolutely not. Anxiety seems to be part of our daily lives. We worry about every little thing that we can. And pastor said it many times, if we would stop worrying, what did he say worrying is? Worrying is praying to ourselves. We need to be praying to God. It says, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're not supposed to worry. We're not supposed to be anxious. We do it anyway because we're fallen. It comes naturally to us. It's easy for us to worry about what we're going to wear, where we're going to be, what are we going to eat? When is this going to be over so we can go home? Right? These are natural little things that just pop into our heads all the time. And... That shouldn't be. We're told not to be anxious. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There it is. That's how we don't be anxious. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the key. That's how we don't be anxious. We have peace through Christ. Jesus Christ is our peace. He's our joy. 
He takes all those little worries and sets them in the proper order. If we put our focus on him, we won't sink as Peter did as he took his eyes off of Christ. That's what happens to us when we start worrying and let all of our anxieties just fold upon us. We've taken our eyes off of Christ and aren't trusting in him for everything. Right? He knows that we need food. He knows that we need clothes. He knows we need jobs. He knows everything about us. And he is happy to give us what we need if we would just come to him and ask. So anxious for nothing, I have just a couple of verses here. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So if we're not supposed to worry, what are we supposed to do? He tells us, but by in everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer is the act of asking or begging for something earnestly. Who are we praying to? Praying to God, right? To Jesus Christ, our great high priest. God created everything. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made it all. This is the same God that we go to in prayer. Prayer is a communication with God. And if we look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 15, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 15, 
going to back just a little bit here at verse 12. And it says, And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli washed her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. She's there pouring out her soul before who? The Lord. Right? And that may seem really strange to those who don't have a relationship with God. Those who are not in Christ. They may think that it looks funny that you're praying or that you may be calm in a time when you shouldn't be calm. It's really going to look weird to them, but it doesn't matter what it looks like to everybody else, right? What matters is your relationship with God and your relationship with Christ. And if you're there pouring out your soul to the Lord, then it doesn't matter what's going on around you because God's going to give you that peace because we know that he hears our prayers and that he intercedes for us. I didn't write down the reference, but we know that this Holy Spirit, he makes groanings. An intercession for us that we don't know and can't understand, right? So that's prayer and supplication, pouring out of one soul to the Lord. Then it says in verse 6 that not only are we supposed to have everything in prayer and supplication, we're supposed to come with thanksgiving. What does thanksgiving look like? In Psalms, Psalm 107, verse 1 through 3. says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west from the north and from the south. And Psalm 100. Verses 4 and 5 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. we're supposed to come before our God with thanksgiving. What do we have to be thankful for? Absolutely everything. Right? So we talked about we make our requests known to God and then what promise are we given? What promise do you see here in this? The promise says is and says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What is it guarding our hearts and minds from? So first, the question is the, that I asked is, what promise are we given? And that is, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. So 
to look at the peace of God, I have John chapter 14 at verse 27. That's the Gospel of John. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So when I think about peace, comes to my mind is in Daniel, the book of Daniel, it always comes to my mind of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here the kings brought them, he tells them, you worship and you won't be thrown into this fiery furnace. Fall down and worship me, right? What is the response? No. Why? They have that peace of God. They have that understanding that God is going to deliver them, whether through death or by rescuing them and keeping them alive. We know not even death can separate us from Christ. So what do we need to fear? Nothing. We can have peace because we know who our Redeemer is. Job said that he will see his Redeemer with his own eyes. Even though he, he looked in the midst of his trials, he lost everything. He lost his sons, his daughters. His wife told him to curse God and die. And yet in the midst of that, he knew who his Redeemer was. He knew God had not forsaken him. So even though we have Affliction, even though we may be sad or sorrowful, we can still have that peace and joy in our lives. And it may seem strange. There's been times where I couldn't tell you why I had peace over the situation that I did because it had surpassed my understanding. It was God's peace. It wasn't my peace. I didn't give myself peace. God gives us that peace, that joy. So then I asked you, what will the peace of God do? It says it will guard our hearts and our minds through Jesus Christ. What is it guarding against? Matthew Henry says it will keep us from sinning under our troubles and from sinking under them. Keep us calm. When everything else seems like it's out of hand, out of balance, the storms of life are crashing upon us, the peace of God will hold us. It'll keep us. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, 3 through 9. If you'll turn there. Isaiah 26, 3 through 9 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down. The feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness. O most upright. You weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul 
is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. So what did we learn? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to apply this in our lives? What's the point? The point is not to be anxious for anything. It's not going to be easy to do that. But don't be discouraged. Don't get bogged down by the troubles and things that may seem overwhelming, for Christ is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That should surpass everything else in our world of influence. So as Paul says in verse 4, I would like to say to you, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that Paul wrote to the Philippians and we thank you that we are able to now look at it and learn from it, Lord. We ask that your joy would just fill us, Lord, that we'd be able to rejoice in you at all times, no matter what the circumstances. When things seem to be too much for us, Lord, help us to cry out to you. Help us to seek you. Let our focus be on you at all times, no matter what the situation may be. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for saving us from who we were, for calling us out of death and bringing us into life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your son. I mean, for coming to this earth, for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you rose from the dead, Lord, and that you sit at your Father's right hand. We thank you that you will return, and we look forward to your return, Lord, so that we may be with you forever. We ask that you would help us to keep this in our minds and in our hearts, that help us to know that you have the final victory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.